Hello, Ernest. How are you doing? Yep, I'm still there? I'm, yes. Okay. How are you? Doing good. Just lunch and grabbing the dog to head out to the streets. The dog is very impatient about both of these things, but we'll manage. All right. Ah. So I've had a very interesting week. Um, I don't know if you got to see or hear any of the Great Reset on Tuesday. Uh, no, I didn't join this Tuesday. That, that's fine. It was a very unwatchable episode. It was a, you know, we've talked about how it's one thing to say, yes, we would all like to be pro-social, but then in practice, how do you actually decide what is pro-social and enforce that people act in the appropriate ways. Uh, do you remember this discussion? Mm -hmm. And part of it is coming up with the right information architecture of communicating and monitoring to be effective. Anyway, so I was planning to have a talk with the group about you know, uh, kind of the ideas we discussed about how do you build these revolutionary systems that really change the way people function. And it turned into a perfect storm of, of um, you know, we talk about how it's really important to have bottom-up inclusive processes, but we had a situation where it, at points it felt like we had six different people who were having six different conversations. Some people objected to the word system. Some people objected to the people who objected to, use, to not using the word systems and not coming up with a better one. And, you know, on and on it went. And it's like, okay, I'm not sure whether I should be embarrassed that this is turning into a bit of a debacle or elated that I'm reproducing all the problems we have been talking about. So uh, I've been having lots of debriefs with various members of the team. But actually, I thought it was a really, overall, I was just really grateful for the experience because uh, it's one thing to debate these ideas in theory. It's another thing to actually have to live them out in practice. <laughs> And in fact, that's actually kind of where I came down to was, um, so uh, we were doing a short little history with a friend of mine about how you know, historically you had, uh, you know, the first civilizations were these God kings, right, where they felt themselves up as God. And then later you had empires where there was at least a nominal distinction uh, between sort of a priesthood and a, a belief system and a system of morality that in theory, even the, the king himself had to be accountable to him. And then we've moved toward uh, what's called rule-based systems, you know, starting with the American Revolution and the idea of a constitution. And what's interesting is one way of looking at this season we are in is in where we're seeing all the failure modes of rule-based systems, right? I mean, we have political systems, we have legal systems and so forth, but A, they move really slowly, right? And when you face a fast moving crisis like a pandemic, it's really hard to figure out how to get things done because all the rules, like some of the, the saddest stories are how, uh, well, most inspiring and sad stories are how private entrepreneurs are set, standing up to create a feeding programs for people who are hungry and governments can't do anything because they are required by law to put things out for a competitive bidding process with a 30-day comment period 
to make sure that nobody abuses the system because it's been abused so much in the past. Mm-hmm. And so it's a really awkward situation because, like, you understand it. And so we are fortunate in the Bay Area. We have, uh, you know, philanthropists who are mostly have reasonable judgment and reasonable motives, we hope, who are funding a lot of these programs here or in Colorado or Utah, places like that. But it's also unnerving on several levels. So, uh, and the interesting thing, we actually had the same issue come up when we were talking about education. The educational systems tend to be very rule-based and hierarchical, which is very good for producing standardized outputs in contexts that are well understood, but are horrible for producing adaptable outputs in systems in, in contexts that are rapidly changing. You still with me? So there's actually a, you know, we've been talking about this from the perspective of justice and fairness and human flourishing. But there's another uh, direction that's worth looking at in terms of how we critique this, uh, the, the world we are trying to change, which offers an interesting set of thoughts about how to improve it. And that is an acronym called VUCA that uh, military planners started using in the 90s in the context of the Iraq war and counterterrorism efforts where VUCA, V-U-C-A, stands for volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And that's sort of the opposite of uh, predictable, consistent, um, um, uh, formal, and clear. And, you know, we're living in a world where, you know, the 20th century was almost trying to find the things that we had in common uh, that we could build large-scale, massive systems around. And, you know, capitalism did a remarkable job of generating more stuff, you know, more food, uh, more tools, more entertainment, et cetera. And for the average person, on an average day, it worked really well. But like... uh, was it someone said when they were first designing uh, seats for pilots and airplanes, there is no one person who is average in every dimension. Is that if you're, uh, you know, if your legs are the right length, then your torso is too large. And if your torso is the right height, your arms are too long. And so trying to build for average means everyone's always a little bit uncomfortable. And some people are extremely uncomfortable. Uh, but all our systems required that. Whoops. Can I drop off? You still there? Mm-hmm. I'm here. Okay, yeah, somebody else Somebody else is bugging me. Uh, so anyway, the idea is that, okay, the problem is, as much as we have tried to change our system to be flexible and adaptive, uh, and we've had some you know, really impressive achievements on the fringes, our systems as a, as a whole um, don't deal well with individuality. They don't deal well with unexpected events because they were designed to treat... <laughs> Um, information about how the world has changed is treated as a defect to be stamped out rather than information to adapt to. Right? I don't know if you experienced that in your schooling system, but, you know, in general, or, you know, even in many corporations. Uh, at Apple, I don't know about your department, we had a pretty free and open culture of speaking out. Like if you think someone was doing something wrong, or you think someone wasn't going to work, you're sure to speak up and you'd argue about it with your boss and your peers. 
and if it was important enough, they'd escalate it up. Since leaving Apple, I have discovered that the rest of the world does not always work that way. A lot yeah. of people do not want to hear bad news. They don't want to hear how the system is broken. Uh, and so uh, the interesting question then is purely, um, if you want to build a system that is adaptive, that responds to the world as it is, rather than the world we perceive when we built the system, you need a different set of building blocks. And so that was a crisis I faced with uh, the, the, the Great Reset Group. It's like, okay, I feel an obligation, and people tell me they wanna see the group making forward progress. They wanna feel like we're doing something concrete, not just arguing with each other. So that creates a certain responsibility on me. On the other hand, I don't wanna do it in a top-down way by saying, this is my group, here are the rules, or I'm the expert, you should listen to me, because that's the very thing we're critiquing. And so we should at least have the effect of learning from the conversations we've had and the things we ourselves have said to do better than that. And so as I was dialoguing with various people uh, who often reacted against the word system, uh, most of them think of it as a formal system where it's you know some really strict rules and regulations and top-down control, cybernetics, if you will. I said, well, that's not what I mean. I think more of a complex adaptive system where really it's about having a set of practices that you follow to help you get better results. And so those, uh, and the other critique was that this is really focused on the outputs rather than the internal relationships. So I said, okay, let's talk about relational practices. And I've had some traction with that phrase. And the reason this is interesting to me is that in some ways we talk about working humanity and changing all the institutions. But in another sense, what we're really trying to do in the hopefully the, the most authentic and benign way possible is reprogram humanity. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so in the sense that we have a set of learned behaviors, learned helplessness, aggression, uh, withdrawal, whatever, which often were useful survival techniques. But when you're trying to create a healthy pro-social environment, you have to unlearn those behaviors and replace them with better ones that are more effective. And usually the way we do this is in a top-down way where we set up people as authority figures and role models and we just obey them and you know, consciously or unconsciously mirror and reflect their behavior, uh, which creates all sorts of useful societal benefits for those who are currently in charge and all sorts of other dysfunctions down the road. So the alternative that I've been playing with this week is something that uh, um, I call a relational practice. And the idea is that it's actually, a, uh, the first practice is the meta practice of just writing these things down. Uh, I'm curious, do you do any sort of uh, health or meditative uh, practices? Are you uh, familiar with that term? Yeah, uh, very little. Like, uh, you know, yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, that's fine. But at least you have a, you're in California, you have a concept of what those are. I never heard the term really until I came to California, and maybe not even until the last decade or so. But the people who do yoga, they talk about having a practice. Mm. Um, and certainly in a more informal sense, we say that, yeah, I'm going to go practice my basketball or my free throws. And so the say of a practice 
Uh, one thing I love about it is that the, the teachers, uh, I don't know if this is actually true, but just the way they talk about it, is that they present it as this is a practice I am doing. I can show you my practice uh, so you can add it to your stable of things to do. It's not a, uh, it's not a rule. Right? This is something you must do. It's a, a thing that you can do. And so uh, I've been playing with those ideas of these of assembling a database of relational practices and that maybe the way we save the world and civilization and humanity is by just documenting the practices we live by and letting people see how they work out and then we open source it all so that they can uh, figure out how to uh, adapt or improve upon them to get better outcomes or to function in different contexts. Mm -hmm. And what's funny about this is that the best role model I could come up with, well, there's two main inspirations for it. Uh, one of them is the Unix man page. You remember those? Yes. Yes, I don't know if you uh, ever had to generate any of those. We had a few I wrote those, some. some of the... yes, you, remember, I wrote... you remember Unix man pages? And it has like a, a name, a short description, a how to use section and then a bunch of description and details around that and it occurred to me like we're having these arguments about what to do both tactically and strategically people kept you know using different phrases like we need to listen to each other we need to you know uh, love each other we need to listen to god it's like you know when you say that you could mean that in a really helpful and healthy way or you can mean that in a really cold and intellectual way. And I don't even know what you're talking about, really. And I'll react based on my emotional experience with how someone who said something similar interacted with me. So it's like, what if we actually just said, okay, let's just write these down in a standard format. Um, the other thing I stole from is this idea of user stories. Have you, did you ever run into those? They may have been after your time. Yes. It was well, interesting in Agile and extreme programming. Mm -hmm. As yeah, a blank, I want to blank so that blank. It was a way of describing feature requirements for users mm -hmm. or feature needs. Anyway, I, I adapted that into a phrase like when in a certain context, try certain actions so that uh, I get certain results. And I thought about that and, you know, trying to synthesize all these things. And I said, you know, that's what actually um, bugs me about traditional education. It says, if you have a problem, this is the solution. And if it doesn't work, you're doing it wrong. Uh, that's mm -hmm. kind of the implicit message that we know these top down, because the top down systems are based around authority, right? And saying like, look, this is the authority. This is how you do things. You know, don't, you know, don't hit your sister don't push people out of this, the, the swing sets and, you know, don't revolt against authority. And, you know, those things are all useful in certain contexts and incredibly toxic in others. And so the idea is to say, rather than being a top down, here's what you must do. Say, look, in this context, when I do this, I get this result. And so then people can, are empowered, but also challenged that when they're in a similar context, uh, they say, huh, maybe if I try, rather than just 
you know, imposing order through force of will, maybe if I try to listen to other people and acknowledge their viewpoint, I will get this other outcome, which is different than the one I get. And then that creates, and the other thing that's important, I think, is the tools ruled out from people or even a formal system and externalizes them. So as a practice, I can create critique the way the practice is. It's like Wikipedia, right? I can critique mm -hmm. the document, and we can agree on the document even if you disagree about all the other stuff. It creates this artifact. Um, and I think that, you know, perhaps getting a little ahead of myself, that maybe this is the critical technique uh, that uh, could actually get us to where we want to go. This idea of externalizing practices and not even calling them best practices, just our practices, and just publishing them somewhere where people can say, hey, these are the practices we live by for how to resolve conflict, how to design systems, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth. And then we, live, we develop them, we model them, and then we promote them, not as a top-down, this is how you should live, but hey, this is what we've done that's worked for us so far. Why don't you adapt it and adopt it in ways that'll help you get better outcomes? And in some sense, it's trying to create a scientific revolution around human behavior and human society, where you know you could imagine a future. Here I am on July 30th, 2020, in the middle of the pandemic. I can imagine a future where every community has a list of practices, or more like a wiki of practices they use to define who they are. You remember, I don't know if you remember, uh, but before like the 80s, hardly anybody had corporate mission statements or corporate values. Do you remember all these things? Well, it was a big deal to get together and talk about your mission and your values. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like it wasn't, maybe it was happening in some places, but it seemed like in the 80s and 90s it became like a cultural phenomenon where everyone started talking about these things. And most of them were harmless. A uh, number of them were, were encouraging, and some of them were just were downright crazy in terms of people spouse one set of values and then live exactly opposite them. So uh, this will certainly be denatured and abused in all sorts of horrible ways too, but at the very least, it elevates the level of conversation. There's a wonderful phrase I heard, I don't know if we've discussed this, the societies advance when they invent new, better methods for resolving conflict. Uh, so, for example, one of the first ones was the idea of trial by combat. Like, if you hate someone, you don't just go and ambush them on the side of the road and kill them. You actually go meet them in a fair fight on a level playing field, which was better than the, the rogue ambush most of the time. And then we went from trial by combat to uh, trial by the king, uh, where, you know, less lethality, but more arbitrariness. And then we went to, you know, like trial by jury. Uh, as a way of resolving conflict. And then one way of looking at the scientific revolution is this idea of a hypothesis and peer-reviewed papers was a way of resolving conflict. Uh, and, you know, it took a little while to get ironed out given the, as you can see, the notorious fights between Newton and Leibniz and other scientists of that age. And so he didn't get rid of fights, fights by scientists. But interestingly, even if the fights didn't actually resolve things for the principles, it made things a lot clearer for everyone else watching. You can kind of look back and understand the issues and what was at stake. Uh, a, a forensic debate 
right? And I have lots of criticisms about the debate process, uh, but still it's better than people, I think, yelling and throwing tomatoes at each other. Although, thinking down to that level again in presidential debates, it seems like. But the, anyway, the idea is that if we have a norm, even with our own little tribe, of publishing and editing best practices, that could actually fundamentally change the way we handle disagreements and how we decide who's in and out and how we decide who to respect and whom to trust. And, and the other big benefit for this, from my perspective, is that one of the things that distinguishes insiders from outsiders is that insiders know the rules and they know how to exploit the rules. And, you know, it's helpful when people are learning, but then after a while it becomes uh, a, a caste system. So I can imagine in the not too distant future, at least having you know a handful of communi communities where we actually publish all our rules of practice and relational practice. This is how we relate to each other. It's like, oh, we're having a problem. The problem looks like this. Therefore, we're gonna employ this practice. And the point is to say, it's not to say that, you know, this is gonna cover everything. You know, it's not like a rule where you have to get it. So it's, okay, this is the practice we have. But then the statement says, okay, if we have a practice for resolving this, for this situation, let's use that practice. Oh, you know, you ran over my dog. Um, so rather than going to court or, you know, getting into a fight, we hold a neighborhood council and we resolve it and that's our neighborhood practice for how we resolve these sorts of issues. And then you say, okay, but if you get a situation where, and so the default behavior is to go with the published practice. And if they say, well, that's not exactly what we meant, then you, okay, you update your edit, you can edit the practice, but at least you have to be honest about it. And everyone has to see the process and know it's transparent. You know, no mm -hmm. secrets, tribunals, no uh, rewriting history, right? It's all GitHub and hashtags and blockchain or whatever. So you can't change the past. The people who know what it used to be like and who said we're going to change it. And there has to be a meta process for how you edit these things. But it feels like that, and you know, there's other pieces obviously around how you build such groups and how you um, measure things. But it occurs to me that this is our minimum viable product, is that if we can get you know, a few relational practices in place and then actually use them to solve an actual problem and then publish the results, that's a new thing. Um, I have not, like, there's lots of practices around personal spirituality. Right, there's the yoga tradition, there's the martial arts tradition, there's the monastic tradition in Western and Eastern Christianity. But I've never actually seen uh, anyone attempting to codify social practices in any sort of structured way. Um, you, the closest you get is value statements. Um, so anyway, this feels like A, an innovation, and B, a solution to my immediate problem. Um, but C, it seems like maybe this is the, uh, the way forward for enlisting people in this larger vision of forking humanity, is that in some ways in order to fork humanity, you need to codify it. <laughs> like what are the practices and behaviors we want and don't want? But what I'm actually really curious about, because I'm so uncomfortable with myself, is this phrase reprogramming humanity. Um, because in one sense, that is what I want to do, because what I discover is that even if people want to live in this newer pro-social way, the, all their habits and assumptions are wired to this old 
uh, top-down conventionalist worldview. And so I do feel like I have to deprogram people from all their assumptions and habits in order for them to live successfully in this new world. Uh, there's a novel I'm reading called The Giver, which the third book is all about that process. Because even if you reach utopia, you know, you're still kind of a jerk when you get there. And how do they help you enculturate into that new normal? And when do, at what point do you become so uh, enculturated that you are able to point out the flaws and inconsistencies in their own system? Um, it's a book called The Messenger in the Giver series. I think Lois Lowry is the author. Anyway, I'll try to add it to the show notes. But the, so it seems like at some level deprogramming is necessary and then you have to reprogram people to live according to new values, but then how do you do that in a way that is non-toxic, that is at least resistant to being gained by the elite uh, on behalf of the newcomers, right? Because it's so easy to uh, subconsciously forget the status and power relationships you create when you try to teach people things. So that's why the phrase reprogramming, as much as I like it on a technical basis, makes me squirm on an emotional basis. <clears throat> and I was just curious what your reaction was. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a similar approach to <clears throat> to what I've uh, been reading the uh, about uh, what is it the um, do the right thing that uh, book that I, I mentioned mm -hmm. a while ago yeah. yeah he talks he talks about practices he talks about um, uh, practice as a way to accumulate knowledge and, mm. and to benefit people so yeah um, this is a, a view that you know, at least with this person who wrote that book, um, he analyzed society and, and he talks about economics. You know, essentially, he he he's in in the same in the same path that we are on. You know, like how to um, allow people to do the right thing, uh, which can be similar to you know how to uh, your view to how to resolve conflict in a way that is. Mm consistent and but it's also adaptable and it's not uh top down so it's like an organic way to learn about each other to uh uh, uh foment encourage uh, relationships and these relationships are ones that you believe in because of your values and your ideals so it, yeah it's, it's these two uh, views are very similar, and um, yours, of course, is more, uh, it, you know, it's more, let's say, technological, you know, uh, or engineering uh, geared, you know, so that you can talk about uh, modifying man pages or modifying your this practice. If you see that there's a, when you actually put it in practice. In, in a particular case, maybe it's a new case, you add to it or you modify whatever assumptions or processes it, it uses. So like you mentioned, you know, and somebody messes mess with your dog and they use the public practice to try to solve the problem, but there is a, a different uh, circumstance in your uh, situation. 
um, maybe the your dog, uh, um, I don't know, um, is has an emotional uh, situation that um, uh, requires a special uh, modification to the practice. So people will have to like get into this mode, you know, kind of like work as a uh, programmer in that they have to understand, okay, the practice is this, and my situation was this particular one, and I need to modify it in such a way. Or or they need to get together with other people and 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 get help. And okay, uh, my situation was this, and the public practice didn't uh, wasn't helpful in solving it. But uh, so we need to come up with a edited version or a modification to this practice, either to uh, make it uh, modify it to our particular tribe. Right, so that it works for this tribe, and then maybe we can share that new version with other tribes to see if they can find it useful. So you know, a problem that is solved by one tribe, instead of just staying in the tribe, you can uh, what you call it um, upstream the change, mm. so that it's shared with others, with the other tribes that are in the same. Um, I want to call it system, but you're trying to go, get away from that word. Maybe, but maybe ecosystem or population. Sometimes I use yeah. the larger collection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's interesting. It's funny the way you describe it. Uh, it strikes me as exactly how you and Richard Stallman talked about software code, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and what's interesting is no one that I'm aware of uh, is probably crazy enough to consider how do we reify our cultural code and make it hackable. But that's kind of what I'm proposing. Mm. It's like, yeah. it's important to do that for computers, but it's way more important to do that for the social systems we live in. Correct, yeah. And, and you put the power with the people instead of the um, the current structure that we have, you know. The, let's call, let's call the, them the gatekeepers, right? Yeah. Because uh, I think that's a neutral term, and it's also a... Um, appropriate term because anytime you remove gatekeepers you get a flowering diversity and you get a hundred times more crap or you get a thousand times more crap but ten times better gold and so in that world you need really good filters <laughs> so you can harvest the gold and not get drowned in the crap um, and I think that's why this is a uh, so the good news is that you know, the best you can do is have open source so everyone can see it. Everyone has at least the right and principle to hack it. And, you know, the idea is it's also recursive in the sense that you have practices that define how you modify your practices and how you use your practices. And those practices are themselves subject to modification. And so you are creating this thing that is more like an organism, you know, more like, um, uh, well, more like a biological system than a formal system. Uh, mm -hmm. And that implies you're going to need, you know, practices for detecting that people have hacked your practice, right? And on all that. And so the, the good news about this is uh, that it's designed to be self-healing, right? It's designed to be like Bitcoin or whatever, where you don't trust the system. 
Because like with Bitcoin, though, the system only works as long as you can trust that people don't trust the system. Right? The, the failure mode of a system like this, which, you know, it may sound conceited to worry about, but it's still what I worry about, is that it works too well and people start to trust the existing practices and, you know, and they get so good at the point where most change requests are noise rather than signal and people start filtering it out. Uh, and at that point, uh, the world comes to an end. But uh, I guess Mr. Hill, for as long as somebody cares and, and has the tools, then they, you know, in the medium run, it allows better solutions to bubble to the top and everyone to participate in making things better. And that's really the best you can hope for. And when the world gets to the point where no one cares about making things better, or keeping bad actors, then I guess the world deserves to end. Anyway, that's kind of morbid. <laughs> but <laughs> it's worth thinking about. That the best thing you can have is that if there's one person with moderate ability who cares deeply about doing the right thing, there should be a clear path for them to rally others to work together to make things better. That's <laughs> the best you can hope for, is that a small person with the right ideas and right vision and average ability has a real shot at making things better. And if there is no such person, then, uh, you know, the universe wins and we have the heat death solution. Anyway, um, I still want to find a better word than reprogramming community. I mean, hacking uh, sounds a little bit even more sinister in some ways, right? Yeah, you yeah. want the sense of like, it's, it's like you want to bring the open source white hat, you know, hacking, system to the point where we get to uh, uh, enlighten, do enlightened rehacks of ourselves, right? So um, maybe up-programming humanity, for lack of a better word. Uh, it's not a great word, but it has a sense, right? The goal is that, you know, we build a system where we use social proof to make sure that we make, that either we make changes that are actually good for us all, or we quickly detect when we've put in a change that made things worse. And, you know, I think this repository of practices is a starting point. You know, there's a whole data science information architecture layer about how you manage these things and measure them. But in some sense, the hard part is getting human beings to actually start using the practices. Uh, once you do that, and then secondly, adopt the idea of publishing changes and results of using the practice. And if you can sort of nucleate that, then you get a Wikipedia level system that can self-perpetuate. And then maybe we can find a better term for it there. Okay. Maybe I'll call this episode, uh, I'll stick with Reprogramming Humanity as the title for the episode. And then maybe next week we can come up with better ways to do it. And I'll send you a link uh, to the uh, GitHub repository where I'm hoping to start storing these uh, off of IGWET probably. And then uh, maybe you can send me a book of the, a link to the book, uh, do the right thing for the show notes. Sound like a plan? Sounds like a plan. All right. Thanks, Ernest. Have a good week. Same to you. Bye.